All right, so let's talk a little bit about the markets here. Welcome to Bull Bear Radio. Market pricing is nuts. Each week, we catch up with WBI's experts, Matt and Don Schreiber. Down 77%. You know what you need to recover from that? A miracle. WBI brings you wealth building market insights. Hi, I'm Matt Schreiber, and this is Bull Bear Radio. We have a very special guest here today. We've got Mr. Gary Stroik. He is uh, Chief Investment Officer here at uh, WBI. And Gary, great to have you. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah. So, uh, you know, what do you do here at WBI? I mean, you're Chief Investment <laughs> Officer. Well, what's the deal? What do you do? Well, you know, my responsibility pretty much is to make sure that uh, the entire management process stays on the rails, executes as designed. Um, I supervise the portfolio management process, all the research that we do. Um, I help in the development of new investment products when we uh, decide to roll something out. You know, how's it going to work? How's it going to be designed? Um, what's going to make it actually go? So that's really my cool. responsibility is make sure that uh, the idea becomes a reality. Sure. So, you know, your chief investment officer, portfolio manager, um, you know, does that mean that you're you're picking stocks every day and you decide when to buy and sell? Or you, you mentioned something about a process there. Oh, yeah, right. So uh, the whole idea behind what we do is to try to take that, um, that short-term thinking out of the equation, the emotional responses out of the equation. And uh, if you had infinite amount of time and information, what decision would you make? And once you figure that stuff out, then what you really do is figure out, well, what would be the process that you would use to achieve that same outcome every single time, no matter what was going on, no matter whether you were happy or sad, excited or depressed, uh, this is what the analysis would bring you to. And so uh, really our job is to make sure that we have processes in place that are gonna continue to execute uh, on the basis of our experience, our research, our collective judgment. Uh, you know, between us, we have so many years of experience and um, in the heat of the moment, it can be hard to call on all that. But when you have time to deliberate and decide and think what would be an effective way to go and then go back and test that, those ideas to see what really works uh, in good times and bad. Uh, and if you can translate that to a process, I think you've got, uh, you know, we believe then you have a really winning, winning uh uh, method approach for, for, strategy for, yeah right? exactly outcome the, for investors exactly and that's the whole idea you know the the reason we got in this business was not to try to uh, beat other managers or or top some index you know uh, when your dad and I uh, first started working together the idea was you know how do we help our clients achieve their important financial goals and and that's really what it's about and we know uh, from our own experience working with people that um, in order to help them, we have to help them participate in markets that are inherently riskier than they might think and do so in a way that protects them to the best of our ability, at least, from the kind of catastrophic losses that could prevent them from ever getting to where they need to go. So that's really what our whole focus is about. It's about everything we do is about helping people participate the way they need to to get the returns they need to beat their goals, but uh, protecting long -term, them. right. Exactly, on the long term, uh, through multiple market cycles, because people invest for a long time to reach their, reach their long-term goals. And we want to make sure that we can do that 
and protect them as best as we can figure out how to do from the um, catastrophic losses that could that the market throws up every few years and that uh, people just can't afford to sustain. Sure. So how long have you been doing this at WBI here? Well, at WBI, well, let's see, I, I got here I, about 28 years. All right. <laughs> so I'm getting so the hang of it. doing it a while, right? A little, little while, yeah. So, so before WBI, uh, you know, uh, you have a couple degrees from uh, a, a nice institution down in uh, the Washington, uh, D.C. area. I'm, right? a, I'm a Georgetown Hoya. Okay. I, I uh, graduated from uh, Georgetown many, many years ago. Uh, George Washington spoke at uh, graduation, not mine, but uh, <laughs> it was a little bit after that. But uh, yeah, it's a, it was a great place to go to school, and I learned a lot there. Sure. And, and uh, you're an avid Eagles fan. Confess, I am born and raised. Um, I think you're born into your sports affiliations for the most part. Uh, I was born in Chester, Pennsylvania, raised in Bucks County, and I've been a diehard Eagles fan my whole life. I mean, I am actually old enough to remember the last time they won an NFL championship, but it was before there was such a thing called the Super Bowl. So I was six years old, so you can do the math. But I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really waiting uh, eagerly to see if they can finally get to the promised land. Good, good year to be an Eagles fan this year. Excellent. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm tickled. I'm enjoying every minute of it, and I, yeah. hope, it, I hope it doesn't end until sometime in February. Yeah. Well, well, we'll see soon, you know. Uh, how that that pans out, and and a lot of good play this year. I mean, they've had a good quarterback play. They got some wide receivers running around, it's and and the defense has been just awesome. Um, uh, some of the players, Fletcher Cox, has been just uh, dominant, and uh, Jernigan, and uh, the whole gang. You know, they had a lot of injuries in the defensive backfield, but it didn't seem to matter. The other guys stepped up, and they're doing a great job. And uh, you know, uh, offensively, they seem to they they just laid. Uh, uh, 51 points on Denver's number one ranked defense. Yeah, there's. Uh, so you can't complain about the offense, but the defense is also doing the job. So they look like a complete team. They, they really look pretty solid. I'm pretty excited. About That's it. good. That's good. So, you know, hey, we t- we've got to talk about the markets, too. I mean, it's oh, Bull okay. Bear Radio, sure. right? Okay. So, you know. It's not Bull Bear and Eagle Radio. Right? <laughs> it's not Bull Bear and Eagle Radio. No. Right. So, so uh, to tell us a little bit about what you see out there uh, in the markets. You know, you, you've been here for a while. You've seen a lot of different types of markets, good, bad. Where, where, where are we at right now? Well, you know, uh, one of the great things about uh, having an active management process is that we don't really have to rely on a five or ten year forecast. We just have to look at what's going on around us right now and and uh, make so the So, what you think isn't as important, uh, you know, in your investment process? It is it's not emotional. My, my my views, my emotional responses, but we can make observations. You know, we can look and see what's happening and and adjust the portfolios accordingly. And uh, I, I'll give you an example when we talk about uh, what we see. Uh, let's take a, a, a little walk back through time. Now, imagine you were a walk down memory lane, walk down memory lane. Let's scoot down memory lane. If you were about to become an investor, or maybe you just retired about eight and a half years ago, and you put 100% of your money in uh, U.S. stocks, um, boy, you'd be really happy right you'd about now. You'd be feeling pretty good You'd right be now. feeling it's, great it's right now. It's been a nice now. run since uh, 2009. It's actually, we've gone... Uh, uh, well over 3,000 days since the last 20% correction, which was back in March of 2009. And, and we've had a really nice run here. The longest, by the way, 
streak without a 20% correction. It's 4,494 days. And I think Gary's got a little insight into this this particular cycle here. Well, um, let, let's just see what it was like back eight and a half years ago and what's the likelihood you actually would have been putting 100% of your money in stocks back then. So uh, what was going on with the Federal Reserve? Well, they had just finished cutting interest rates 12 times, brought it down to zero, and um, because the financial markets were in chaos. Um, the valuation, the Schiller P.E., which um, is a 10-year average earnings measure of P.E., to kind of smooth out the bumps and valleys, well, that was 13, 13 times earnings. Uh, advisory sentiment, there were about 29.7% bullish advisors uh, who were offering opinions, and that means there were about 70% of the advi professional advisors who were uh, bearish on the markets. Really worried about what was going on then. Everybody was worried. <laughs> Everybody was freaking out. And and uh, why not? I mean, over the previous uh, few years, the S&P 500 had fallen 56%. Imagine that. You lost 56 cents on every dollar. So w what do you think the likelihood is that the typical investor would say, you know, I'm going to take all my life sa savings and plop it into the market right about now. But if they had, uh, you know, since then, it's been a very nice return, 280% um, or, or so. But if you had restarted the same exact uh, uh, program, you retired eight and a half years before that uh, instead of eight and a half years ago, well, what, what would that so have 2000. Felt? Yeah, right around 2000. Let's say, oh, I don't know, March 24th of 2000, right? So the market peaks. And uh, what was going on then? Well, from the Federal Reserve, um, they had just hiked interest rates four consecutive times, and they did a fifth hike shortly thereafter in May. Uh, from a valuation standpoint, that Schiller P.E. was at 43 times earnings. Wow. The advisor sentiment was 55.7% bulls. Can't, can't wait to hear where we're at right now, but I, I know you've got that. But yeah. Wow. Wow. Everybody was bullish then. Everybody was bullish. And um, the S&P, why not? The S&P 500. Super majority on bulls, right? <laughs> it was. And, and again, why not? Because the S&P 500, since March of 1990, 10 years, was up 353%. So, markets go up and, and markets usually go down. Well, what happened after that, of course, was the 56% decline that we were just talking about. A minute exactly. Ago. Right. Right. So um, I'm not going to make a forecast, but I will tell you what we see right now. We don't have to guess. We can look and we can see. So where are we? Well, the Federal Reserve uh, has hiked interest rates four consecutive times mm. and a fifth interest rate hike is expected in December. Um, they've begun... Uh, quantitative tightening. We, we have a new Fed chair coming in. New Fed chair. They Jerome are Powell. They are going to reduce the balance sheet. If if uh, buying bonds was uh, quantitative uh, easing, then this has got to be quantitative tightening. Sure. Uh, so that's going on. What about valuation? Well, the Schiller PE that we were talking about before that was as high as 43 and was low as 13. Uh, right now it's at about 31. Uh, what about advisory opinion? Well, the professional advisors Right now, 63.5% are bulls. Wow. And by the way, that is the highest bullish percentage since February of 1987. Now, I don't know if you remember wow. 1987, I, but that, that had a couple memorable days in it, including one where they- I've the, heard about that before. Yeah, I was around on that day. Yeah. I, I remember uh, watching the Dow Jones Industrial Average plunge more than 20% in a day. I mean, imagine a 5,000-point decline in a day. And you get a sense of just how traumatic that was. And, um, and, and the S&P 500, again, as we mentioned, since uh, 
since the bottom in March of 2009 is up uh, more than 280%. So uh, what's going to be the next eight to 10 years, eight and a half years from here? I don't, I don't really know. But um, one of the things that I, I believe is that this is not the time to abandon um, reasonable, prudent risk management strategies in favor of chasing the highest return. I just don't think that, uh, uh, based on what we see, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, there's been that huge push towards passive, low-cost investing over the last couple of years. And one of the things that goes along with that is understanding what you're investing in in index construction. I mean, the S&P 500's up somewhere right around 16%. It's been pretty consistent for several weeks around that that area right now. The top 20 stocks have actually produced 51% of that return, just 20 names. And 50 names in the S&P 500, the investable equivalent, 74% of the return from 50 names. So what is what are the other 450 companies doing, you know? You know, and that is very reminiscent of what happened in 1999 when a lot of the uh, big names, the Intels of, uh, of the time, were uh, responsible for a large portion of the gains in the S&P 500 back then as well. And Amazon, you know, and, was a hot name back then, hot name now. And there are a lot of those hot names that, are, uh, that aren't around anymore. Um, I remember Lucent, a big company, uh, went from 70, right down the road from us here. $72.58 to $0.58. Cents. And, uh, you know, if you had a lot of money tied up in that, that was a big problem. And, you know, Matt, you were mentioning the indexes, and uh, I'll pick on the S&P 500 because everybody knows that. But after that, when, when it peaked in 2000 and it went back down again, before it was consistently above – uh, zero essentially to get back to where you were. Let's say you had a hundred thousand dollars on in, in uh, March of 2000. By the time you consistently got back to a hundred thousand dollars, it was 12 years, seven months later. Now, if you're saving for college and you're going to wait till your kid is 30 or something before he goes to school with that money. First of all, assume you have enough money already right. to do whatever it is you want to do. Can you afford to lose half of it and still meet your goals? Can you afford to wait 12 years, five years uh, to retire? Uh, so it, it's not a small thing to be conscious of risk, especially when there are all kinds of things you can just look around and see that indicate that caution is advised. That doesn't mean you can't participate. We're, we're nearly fully invested in most of the products that, sure, that, and we, that we run. and we've been participating well. And, and, and so I'm not suggesting that everybody uh, panic and, and run for the hills, but I am suggesting that the people who are running toward these index products that you're talking about could be in for a rude surprise if this thing starts to unwind. Be, be diversified and know what you own. I mean, let's say you wanted to own the MSCI world equivalent, right? Well, by the way, Unless it's ex-U.S., a lot of the biggest companies in the world happen to be U.S. companies. So if you're investing in that product, you would think you're a little bit more globally diversified. But if you took the top 20 performing names in the MSCI world equivalent product, I, it, the product's up around 18% this year. Um, the index is up around the same. Uh, the top 20 performing names account for about a quarter of the return. I wonder how many of the names are the same as the S&P 500. Yeah, I don't know. but 18 of 20. 18 out of 20. Names. 18 well, out of 20 go. of the top performing in the MSCI world equivalent are, are the same names as SPY or, or the S&P 500. 
um, would be it doesn't matter which which product you're looking at. It's all going to be the same if the indexes and the products are constructed similarly. But the top 50 names account for about half of the 18% return. And how many of those do you think actually happen to be a, a carryover from the S&P 500? I'm pretty sure you're going to tell me. Uh, 36 of the 50. Okay. So it, it's, it's incredible. Uh, so when you talk about knowing what you own and, and uh, these index products, wow. I mean... I know you invest and you take a look at a lot of this index product because we're going to talk about one of the products that you've designed in just a couple of minutes that rotates through ETF products around the globe. So there's nobody better to talk about index product than than uh, Gary Stroike here. Sure. And I think one of the things that's important for uh, investors to keep in mind is that, uh, especially on the cap-weighted, uh, certainly on the cap-weighted indices, um, as they perform well, they attract money because money chases performance, mm -hmm. always does, always will. And uh, the things that get the money are the largest cap-weighted uh, securities in the index, and that causes them to move up. Asset which, prices inflate in those names. Of course, as there's demand, all the managers who are managing those products have to buy more of that, which drives those prices up, which drives the index up, which causes more new money to come to the index and so forth, which is all great while it's going in that direction. But if that should start to unwind because of who knows what that comes down the pike that causes investors to have a second thought about their equity exposure, um, and, and people decide to take a few of the chips off the table, well, those same things that benefited disproportionately on the way up could also be a negative. are likely to be hurt disproportionately on the way down. And, um, you know, it doesn't matter uh, almost how liquid a security is. If, if they're all sellers and no buyers, uh, price is going to go down. That's right. That's so, right. Well, thanks. Uh, we're going to take a, a short break here, and we'll be, we'll be back in just a moment. Knowing where and when to invest can be difficult. Make the world yours with WBI's Tactical Rotation ETF. WBIR is an active, unconstrained ETF that seeks high, risk-adjusted returns through global asset rotation and applies risk management in an effort to protect capital during unfavorable periods. WBIR, a flexible yet disciplined approach to investing around the globe. And we're back. Uh, you know, hey, as always, you know, we'd love for you to follow the company on LinkedIn or on Twitter. Uh, WBI Investments is the Twitter handle. You can follow us there. Uh, you can follow myself uh, on, on Twitter at WBI President. That's the Twitter handle. You can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, uh, I, don't, I don't know if Gary here is on, on the social media, but, um, you know, He's got his hands full. And, and one thing we want to talk about today is uh, a, a strategy that we launched uh, recently in an ETF. It's like a hedge fund almost in an ETF. It's, it doesn't go short. It doesn't use leverage. But it can invest around the globe in, in some of uh, it's globally opportunistic. And, and so, uh, Gary, tell us a little bit about this global rotation strategy. What's the ticker? Uh, the ticker is WBIR, okay. as in WBI rotation. Uh, basically, the name is the WBI tactical rotation shares. Uh, again, ticker WBIR, easy to remember. And uh, as you're saying, Matt, the, uh, the goal of this thing is to offer some source of return that is not dependent on uh, the performance of any particular idea, uh, whether it's a particular market or asset class or sector or geographic area, but one that can find 
um, a risk, good risk-adjusted returns uh, across a broad array of uh, investment opportunities, what we call IOs, invest, IO for investment opportunity, because investment opportunity is a mouthful. <laughs> so this, this is fund of funds, right? It invests in ETFs to gain those exposures, correct? Yes, ETFs, ETNs. It can use individual securities if necessary to get the exposure. But what we're really looking for is any, any way that we can efficiently um, access uh, an investment opportunity. And, and that can be, uh, as I said, it can be across asset classes. We could have commodities. We could have equities. It could be the shape of the yield curve. It could be differences in cap and style. Uh, so any anything uh, that we can model effectively for the uh, influences that cause a performance difference, uh, that becomes an uh, a so-called IO for us. Investment opportunity. Investment opportunity. <laughs> so it's not a sector. It's not an asset. It's an opportunity. Well, for example, you do rotate through sectors potentially, right? Sure. So that's, that's a part of, of the strategy. That's an investment. Uh, that's a grouping, as I think you'd call it, if I'm not mistaken, right? Right. So that, that'd be a uh, sectors and investment opportunity grouping, and, and you'd have unemotional. This is not you trying to figure out what's going on. You've built models that rotate through these certain investment opportunities, oh, correct? Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I think one of the things that's most unique about this process is that we don't have one model that rotates among these things. What we've done is we identified approximately 80 investment opportunities, all different kinds of things, and we created unique models for each one. Each thing responds differently to different conditions. So if we can identify, uh, for example, government bonds, sure, they respond to interest rates, but they respond differently to business risk or market risk than junk bonds do. Right. So they're both bonds, but they have different uh, things that cause the performance to move. So uh, if we can isolate those things, and we will model, we modeled each of these things for the unique set of characteristics and influences that tend to influence their future performance. And out of those, we uh, culled 67 of them currently, uh, always looking for more, but uh, 67 sure. at the moment, that uh, we've been able to combine in ways that um, increase, uh, in our view, increase the performance uh, on a risk-adjusted basis. Uh, and, and uh, you know, when you start to add too many, you get too much uh, correlation among the assets, and you start to cancel out some of the benefits of diversification and so forth. So, um, you know, we, we've, that's what we've been able to create a model out of, and uh, it, it's, uh, it's very exciting to us. Uh, again, what we're looking for is a good risk-adjusted rate of return. So, um, and each model, by the way, looks for an excess return over cash. So you don't have to be invested. We do not. And it's not like, uh, you know, the money's going to burn a hole in our so pocket. So if, if you can't find a good opportunity from a risk-adjusted return perspective and cash is a better alternative, how much cash can this particular product hold? It, theoretically, it could be completely in cash. That's never been the case. It never was in the case in any of our backtest studies. But theoretically, it's possible. We set a hurdle uh, for now, the reason it wouldn't be 
likely is because somewhere, somewhere something right. is going to be having a positive return. If, if everything is going terribly, there'll be some inverse correlator that'll be doing great. So, uh, but could be gold or commodities gold, or something. Commodities, volatility, right. could, could be anything that, that would um, benefit from Armageddon, let's say. But um, so it's unlikely. And the model be. picks that up. Yes, the model is designed to uh, find the opportunity, risk-adjusted opportunity wherever it lies and, uh, and try to move some of the assets there. So um, to capitalize on whatever is available. So, for example, it can go through geographic regions, countries, I- different indexes, sectors. That's correct. Currencies. That's right. It, it, can, it can handle any of those things. And, and, uh, and it does. I mean, uh, it, it does change. Uh, it's active, uh, which is by design. Uh, but for example, right now, there's about uh, 78% in equity. But um, of that, probably about 13% is cap and style driven. So SMID or large. SMID, large growth value, all the subsets uh, that of that kind of uh, modeling that represent, well, this looks like a value. Where's the best place to be right now? Exactly. Okay. Uh, we have uh, almost 30% is international, different countries okay. uh, or regions. So, you know, in some cases it might be Latin America. In some cases it might be a country like China, India, Germany. Okay. So uh, in some cases you're better off according to our models, sticking to the entire region, like Latin America versus China, for example. Right. Um, and it ranks those opportunities for you. So you're not like picking it out of a hat. It says go to India, right? That's correct. All of the uh, models are scaled to the same excess return scale. So they're all looking for a return of cash plus 5% on a projected basis. Cash plus 5% on a risk-adjusted basis and then they all get a score on that basis. And then we can rank the scores. And and the things with the higher scores are the things that we'll try to rotate the money toward. Sure. So, so uh, that's what's going on. We have, right now we have uh, about 16% is in fixed income, for example. We have, a, a, we have a commodity exposure right at the moment. So um, it can be anywhere um, in, in, in the fixed income. Uh, 11% of that is uh, international. Okay. So, um, again, global in scope, anything that we could think of that might have characteristics that would cause it to behave differently than other things, uh, that became an IO for us, an investment opportunity. Sure. Now, let's say you are pretty fully invested. Uh, there's, a, there's a market event. Is, is there risk management on this or uh, you know, particular product? Yeah, sure. Uh, as is the case with every one of our actively managed products, uh, every position we put into the portfolio has a st- our trailing stop process applied to it. So the buy discipline can say, hey, there's there's no opportunity out there, so you should hold cash. Uh, but if you are fully invested, there's kind of that stop gap there in terms of that dynamic trailing stop process is also in, in this particular product. That's correct. So, you know, from a risk management standpoint, not only are we getting diversification by geography, by asset class, um, we also uh, we limit the uh, size of anyone. I say we have one thing that's really great, and a lot of other stuff that's not so great. We cap on the day of purchase twelve percent 
as the maximum exposure to any one IO. So if there's only one or two IOs, you can't plow it, or investment opportunities, you can't plow it into just that. That's right. That's okay. too much risk. Okay. That's too much risk. Again, we have an eye towards risk here. And diversity, we believe that uh, in this case, um, we, we want to make sure that we're diversifying a little bit as part of the risk management. So uh, we have that. We have uh, uh, the stops, as you mentioned. Um, the rankings themselves are based on an excess return over cash. So cash is a perfectly legitimate place to go. If none of these things look particularly good, that's where the money will be. Okay, so why should somebody use WBIR? I, I've, I've uh, you know, seen some of these strategies before uh, in the marketplace, but how would you utilize this to complement asset allocation, for example? Well, you were I, an advisor. Yeah, I, I, that's a great question. And I, and I think that... Um, the idea is that something somewhere could be doing well when other things are not, including some of the more popular investments that tend to populate the vast majority of a client's portfolio. So they have a lot of U.S. equities, for example, and they might have some fixed income exposure. But how likely are they to come and go in China, India, commodities, uh, move to European bonds versus U.S. quality bonds? So. This is supposed to be uh, something with very low correlation to the typical portfolio that still generates a steady, attractive uh, return no matter what's going on in the rest of the portfolio. So uh, we like we, our goal for it is to be kind of a, a non-correlating source of alpha, it's kind of a portfolio driver that provides stability to whatever else is going on in the client's portfolio. It gives you the, it gives you an opportunity to to own the world essentially. You may not own the whole thing at any particular time, but whatever is opportunistic from a modeling perspective is what you would own here that's that's going to give you a, a a good return. Exactly. And and I know that um, a lot of clients and their advisors try to uh, provide that kind of thing, but the opportunities rotate very quickly, especially today. How uh, often does the rotation among assets occur typically here? Is this something that you buy and hold and then you set it and forget it? Or is there no. the rotation occurs frequently? Frequently. We, we evaluate the positions um, weekly, but I find that um, not everything changes every month. But I would guess that on a monthly basis, you're going to see a couple things rotate out of the portfolio and a couple other things rotate in. Okay. And, and I think that that's kind of, uh, kind of key for someone who's trying to provide some kind of diversifier for a client's portfolio is, well, gee, uh, I missed that. Latin America was really good, but now I, I, I took my eye off the ball and that was, that, that's fallen out of bed. And I should have been in European bonds. Well, how about if you don't have to make that decision? How about if we're looking at it all the time with all these models who are trying to forecast the best place to be? I was going to say, it's more. Pre this is more predictive of where the return may occur. That's correct. That's, that's what it's trying to do, and it's trying to stay on top of this across really a very, very— we think we've painted a very, very broad brush here, a very wide universe of things that we cover. And I'm, this is a lot different than the normal quantitative fundamental analysis that WBI typically does in a lot of its products, you know, where you're looking at uh, earnings and revenue that the company has produced— to make investment decisions where to go. This is this is doing something a little bit different than that, right? Sure, because, and it has to. Um, now, some things, if we're looking at, for example, a large cap value exposure, 
some of those things are going to be the same things that you would find if you were looking for large cap value stocks. Right. But if you're looking for um, how could you make money on the shape of the yield curve or where, uh, which kind of commodities are likely to have a good uh, future return, obviously you're looking at different things. And that's what's so unique here is that the model is – each model – is custom designed for the investment opportunity that we've identified that gives and us a broad coverage. How long did it take you and the team to build this? Uh, years. <laughs> I have figured as much. It was years. Um, well, I knew that, but it was a little bit of a leading question. Yeah, it was a little bit of a... We had the idea many, many years ago. Your dad and I talked about it. The problem was uh, information was harder to get. Uh, very costly as well. Very expensive, hard to get data. Uh, and one of the great things about the uh, technology revolution is it has uh, opened up the floodgates for us. Uh, we always had the idea, boy, wouldn't it be great if we could do this? But it, it's uh, only relatively recently that we could get enough uh, accurate information in a timely basis that we could actually build these models, test them, uh, have historical data to test. And, and, uh, and then we had to go through the work of actually – uh, coming up with the models and, and designing a portfolio that would uh, take advantage of the performance characteristics of all these different IOs as they come and go. Sure. So the so the portfolio does it track in 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 it, in it? does a does the portfolio track an index? Man, I I really got to work on talking here. I'm doing a radio show and I can't just spit it out. So no, no. does it track an index though? It does not. Okay. It, so the product it, does not track an it, index. It has. Uh, I can't imagine an index it could track. Because uh, there is no um, no attribution that would be meaningful uh, relative sure. to its components. Well, from a regulatory perspective, we have to put one in the prospectus. So, uh, if you took a look at the the most recent update, I think it's going to have uh, MSCI, uh, ACWI, All Country World Index, and, and as we said, it can be in countries, it can be geographic regions, uh, global. Uh, Barclays Global Aggregate Bond is, is one of the other indexes in there that's been assigned to uh, the strategy. And from what Gary was saying, we have a lot of these type of exposures currently. So while, while there is a benchmark in there, this, this is not supposed to beat those benchmarks all the time, right? No, and it's not likely. I mean, one of the things that we should always disclose is the limitations of the benchmark in terms of representing the, the and we were just strategy. talking about that. Unless you own the benchmark, you may not, get, and and certain stocks in the benchmark, you may not get that return. Exactly, and and I would say uh, anybody who who uh, looks at a benchmark uh, relative to this uh, needs to do so with some, you know, some grain of salt because really we're not trying at all uh, to to match a, ben a benchmark. We're trying to find an opportunity somewhere in the world for clients to uh, to have a positive return. Um, if such a return is actually out there somewhere. Yeah, we even put the in the prospectus, I think, in the most recent update, which may not be out yet, but pretty soon, the Credit Suisse Hedge Fund Index, which is, I think, uh, you know, it's thousands and thousands of hedge funds. So that's it, that seems to be an okay barometer in terms of a peer group uh, that's kind of go anywhere, that can use different methodologies to gain different exposures, uh, usually hedge funds are pretty expensive. This comes in a little over 1% on an expense ratio, so it's a little less expensive. But would you say that that's kind of akin to what this does from a quantitative analysis perspective and trying to gain exposures while having an eye on managing risk? Yeah, I think... Um, a little you know, bit cheaper hedge fund alternative? <laughs> People tend to think of hedge funds as, um, as being... Uh, uh, 
a way to try to hedge, I mean, manage risk of other kinds of exposures. And uh, to the extent that you have a broad, there are all kinds of hedge funds, you know that. There's arbitrage. uh, Arbitrage and, 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 uh, Long, short, and I, I, more than I could Distressed mention. Distressed debt, I mean, it, it runs the gamut. Exactly. So um, to the extent that a hedge fund index has a really large sample of a wide variety of things. Different strategies, then, right. Then it, it might be representative of, or not representative, but it, it might have some correlation. It'd give to, you a little uh, bit different barometer for success. Exactly. Right. Um, but I, I, I know that uh, the way we measure success, and we're very happy with the way this thing is, uh, is, Performed. is performing for yeah, us, yeah. is that um, is it providing an attractive um, excess return, significantly better than cash, um, with uh, low volatility and uh, low correlation to popular indexes? I think the correlation to the S&P 500 is, uh, is, is relatively low. So uh, currently... Uh, again, as I've said, keep in mind, uh, by the time the next uh, month rolls around, we could have large exposures to things like the S&P 500. But you that's won't correlate the, long-term, most likely, to, to any one benchmark. No, and we that's can't. kind of the point. We here. can't. We okay. can't. It'd be extremely unlikely, given uh, the way this thing is designed, that it's going to consistently roll into something that correlates with any one of these uh uh, areas. Well, great. This is this has been great having you on here on Bull Bear Radio, Gary, and and we look forward to having you uh, back again real soon. Now, you've been on the radio before, haven't I you? Do, I do. Uh, this is my first time on Bull Bear Radio. I've done a lot of radio spots. I think I have a face that's made for radio, so <laughs> I don't think you'll see me on TV too often. But uh, sure, I I, uh, I I like to uh, I like to share what we're doing. I'm excited about what's going on. And I uh, look forward to having uh, the opportunity to share some new ideas with people again. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, thanks for tuning in. This is another episode of Bull Bear Radio. And again, you know, uh, feel free to follow us on uh, social media. And we really uh, appreciate you listening to us. And we'll, we'll be back at you next week. This is Bull Bear Radio, where each week you can count on our real market news and advice. Catch all of our podcast episodes at WBIinvestments.com. We want to hear from you. Submit your questions for Matt and Don to be discussed in future podcasts to Radio at WBIinvestments.com. The WBI Dynamic Trailing Stop is not a stop loss order or stop limit or replaced with a brokerage firm, but an internal process for monitoring price movements. While the DTS may be used to initiate WBI's process for selling a security, it does not assure that a particular execution price will be received. An investment in the fund is subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Investments in fixed income involve risk and may be adversely impacted when interest rates fall because the fund may be exposed directly or indirectly to lower yielding bonds. Investors should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses carefully before for investing. For prospectus and summary prospectus, visit WBIShares.com or call 1-800-772-5810. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Foresight Fund Services Distributor.